it's no longer surprising to see roses, skulls, and Japanese landscapes covering the extremities of everyone from bike mechanics to CEOs. But considering that imagery within a fine arts context is a little different. Two exhibitions currently on view at IU's Grunewald Gallery document the history of tattoo in Indiana in pictures and artifacts. The shows launched reporter Hannah Boomershine into an investigation of how the art form has evolved and what it represents for its devotees. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten tattoos. On the inside of my right arm, I have the coordinates of the house I grew up at. Um, my little sister and I, we both got them done. My real first tattoo was the Virgin de Guadalupe on my arm. Then I told my dad, and initially, he was like, what is that? Tattoos have gone mainstream, but just 20 years ago, this wasn't the case. Was it legal? From 1963 to 1998, it was illegal for anyone besides a doctor to give a tattoo in Indiana. People were fearful of the spread of disease. They were, they were afraid of the, the monumental task of, of keeping track of all the tattooers and, you know, like, their sanitary practices. They can't, a lot of these tattooers were traveling at the time, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to follow them. That's Jeremy Sweet, Associate Director of the Grunwald Gallery of Art at Indiana University and co-curator of the exhibition on view there called Indiana Tattoo, History and Legacy. The exhibition includes many photographs documenting tattoos made before they became illegal. You look at the imagery that happened pre-63, it was a lot of traditional images that got reproduced uh, from other artists and each, each artist took their own uh, slant on it, but they were these solid, bold images that they knew would survive the test of time. Dark outlines, nice shading, they pop really good on the skin. On another wall are rows and rows of flash sheets. The sheets, typically displayed in tattoo shops, are covered with designs from which customers may choose. Sweet explains that traditional tattoo imagery before 1963 not only stood the test of time on the skin, but it also contained some recurring themes. Hey there, my hearties. A lot of sailor motifs, battleship motifs, American, you know, symbolism, stuff like that. Another popular one is the uh, Rose of No Man's Land that is basically paying tribute to the nurses that were in the battlefields that were saving lives and putting themselves at risk. So like something like that there, or? No, no? Let's, <laughs> let's find the Rose of No Man's Land. These traditional motifs also show up in a series of black and white photographs from the Kinsey Institute. One of the undated photographs has the caption Charlotte Hoyer, German sword swallower. The woman's back is tattooed with flowers and an Eastern god. Her back is turned to the camera, and she holds up a mirror to her face so she can stare back at the viewer. Oh, I love that because she is looking directly into the camera. We have that full eye contact. She's clearly participating in the work of art. That's Dr. Allison Vandenberg, who teaches at Indiana University. Her research interests include gendered beauty practices. One of the places that we tend to see women becoming more visible in the history of tattooing was within the context of the Carnival Freak Show back in the 1920s. Now, a lot of those women, even though they 
uh, might have decided of their own free will and agency to have their bodies tattooed would still be presented alongside narratives that were very sensationalized. So you might have a woman in a freak show at a carnival who is being shown as a tattooed woman, uh, and they might decide to they might have decided to present that with a narrative of, uh, say, having been a captive or uh, perhaps some sort of a seedy or criminal background. Um, a lot of times there was an implication in the narrative set up for these uh, sideshow carnivals and freak shows that implied that this was something that was done to women against their will. Um, but when we actually look at a lot of the women who participated in those carnival freak shows, they got their tattoos of their own free will. Bernard Coble collected and cataloged images of people with tattoos, along with circus performers, as part of his family's mail-order business, called W.H. Coble & Sons, located in Frankfort, Indiana. Many of Cobell's images were donated to the Kinsey Institute in October of 1955. Sweet says that tattoo artistry, as seen in the Kinsey photographs, was less common after 1963. Once it became illegal, then a lot of that tradition and, and professional quality disappeared because they didn't have the, the setup where they were learning in a proper environment. The tattoo scene was underground, unregulated, and often unsafe. Baby, I feel good. Tattoo artists didn't always wear gloves or change needles. That didn't stop tattoo artists from continuing their craft, though. One artist, Roy Boy Cooper, operated his shop, The Badlands, out of Gary, Indiana in the 1980s and 90s, when tattoos were illegal. A collection of art, photos, signage, films, clothing, and personal effects that once belonged to Cooper is on view at the Grunwald in the companion show, Welcome Back to the Badlands. The images and artifacts speak to the transgressiveness of tattoo culture during that era, explains Eric Smolinski, a tattoo artist who owns the Cooper collection. It was more of like a, a rebellion, an outlaw thing, you know what I mean? It was like something that was just so serious, you know? Uh, that's what I kind of think he added to tattooing in Indiana was the, the, the flashiness. He was able to sneak past things. He was able to have four tigers inside of a tattoo shop in the 80s, 90s, you know, and to me, that's, it's just crazy. Despite his brazen disdain for the law, Smolinski says Roy Boy didn't put the word tattoo on his storefront when he first opened for business. Uh, this photo right here is the first photo that was ever taken mm -hmm. of his place. And then you'll look at all these things, place, place, items of unusual taste, world famous artists, nothing says tattoo on it. On the walls of the exhibit are pictures of motorcycles, tattooed customers, and tigers. Most of the photos that you see of the tiger inside of these, the orange tiger, that's gonna be Brazil. Brazil was the most tame tiger that he ever owned in the 15 tigers uh, that he owned during the duration of his life. Another artifact on the wall is a sign from Cooper's Hardcore Gym. Okay, Roy Boy's Hardcore Gym. Weightlifting requirements. First off, this is a gym, not a rehabilitation center or a baby care layover for crack <laughs> users, beer drinkers, or etc. If so, tell your hard luck stories to your friends at home or at your favorite bars. Spandex, gaiters, and Gucci sportswear look good on women. Real men wear torn t-shirts and sweat. In other words, don't wear the Chicago Health Club look. 
Last but not least, if there is a problem with any of the above, remember this is the Badlands Gym. Favorite line right here. Fist fighting, stabbing, and shooting are allowed. <laughs> Blacks and whites are welcome. Further south in Bloomington, Indiana, another tattoo artist was forthright about the services he was offering. This is an advertisement for Kevin Brady's All-American Tattoo Studio, which was on, let's see the address here, 702 South Walnut. Brady enjoyed success as an artist and even had some celebrity clients. Sweet points out a leather jacket that Brady decorated. It's painted with images of music notes, an eagle, the devil, and Jesus. On one of the arms, there's a rose growing next to a spider web. This jacket we have, which is a collection of Mike Wanchik, who is a Mellencamp guitarist, he owns this, but supposedly this was made by Kevin Brady for uh, Mellencamp, and there's a JM listed on there. And if you look on the sleeve, it says Jack and Diane. Oh yeah, life goes on. After operating for a year, the law caught up with Brady on March 20th, 1985. He was fighting for his First Amendment rights, uh, but the law stated that only doctors could could perform tattoos. Uh, it was seen as a medical procedure. And so the law remained. Bloomington resident Kara remembers getting her first tattoo in 1991 when it was still illegal in Indiana. I found um, a super shady house on what they call Pigeon Hill, and everybody knows who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say her name, but she had a, a house and she would do tattoos and she didn't ask for my ID. She didn't have an autoclave, which is what sterilizes the needles. And I asked her, do you sterilize the needles? And she just said yes, and I took her word for it. Um, there were three dogs with mange in the living room and like a bunch of bike riders in the living room watching wrestling. And I should have just known better and turn around and run when I got in there. But the rough and tumble surroundings, Kara concedes, only contributed to the allure of getting a tattoo even a dainty one. I don't really remember the pain a lot. Um, I just remember thinking that was going to be my secret, like rebellion, you know, I wasn't going to tell anybody about it. And, you know, people were shocked that I, would, of all people, would go, because nobody was getting tattoos when you're 17. The legalization of tattoos occurred in 1998, seven years after Kara got her fairy tattoo. Over the years, the ink began to fade, and in August, Kara decided to cover her old tattoo with one that carries new meaning. My daughter is 12, and she's adopted. Love of my life. Uh, her name is Glory, like the flower. So I had been thinking for several years about getting it covered up with a morning glory for her, just as a little tribute to, to her and something to cover up that, that, that tattoo. And um, went to a very reputable, lovely people at Time and Tide Tattoo, and it took about an hour, and it was the worst pain I think I've ever experienced in my lifetime. And my daughter knew I was gonna do it, but I also sat down and used it as a cautionary tale for her of how this could be really, have been really dangerous for me to do this at age 17, and that you know her body's perfect and she doesn't ever have to get a tattoo. So she helped me um, you know, take care of it and everything, and she said, well, this is for me, and I know that you, you, know, you did this for me, and, so it was really, it's, it's lovely, it was very painful, but it was kind of a lesson for her and me and to kind of celebrate my motherhood and celebrate her as well. As it turns out, it's not the only time Glory has been celebrated on skin. I heard from her birth mother, my daughter's birth mother, yesterday. 
and she sent me a photo and she has a tattoo of my daughter's name on her ribs just says the word glory on her ribs so I just thought it was really interesting that she had had it for years my daughter's 12 she just wanted that there to remember her and so that was really lovely way to um, just honor her and just honor her her life so we both have a glory just in different shapes I guess on our our bodies both of her her mothers with tattoos out from the underground Hoosiers of all backgrounds can embrace the needle and ink. Like Kara, women are increasingly turning to the art form to express themselves. But although the clientele is changing, it's taking some time for the industry to reach gender parity. Right now, it's still a male-dominated profession, says Dina Verplank, a tattoo artist who works at the Firefly Tattoo Collective in Indianapolis. You know, people are used to a certain kind of tattoo artist, and that's usually like a big burly man. And uh, (laughs) we went to one convention where there was 500 artists and we were, me and Laura were two of the the five girls there. Definitely, definitely a male dominated industry. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting more diverse and women are more accepted. But I mean, you still get like a whole derogative comments toward you and really what have people um, said to you about being a tattoo artist? Um, Well, my the, my mentor told me that a woman could never open up her own tattoo shop, which, of course, inspired me and Laura to open up our own tattoo shop. Verplank has worked for eight years as a successful tattoo artist, despite her mentor's warning. In fact, being a female tattoo artist has its perks. It's kind of crazy because it makes us that much more busy, you know? I think women are sometimes a little bit more comfortable coming to other women to get a tattoo. I think women get tattooed way more than men. <laughs> oh, really? Really? That's and interesting. Especially like middle-aged women, like women in their 40s or 50s, like who've always wanted a tattoo, but for some reason felt like they couldn't. They had a partner that told them they couldn't or, you know, whatever. Society told them they couldn't, and then they finally get to a point in their lives where they're like, I want a tattoo. I tattooed my 87-year-old grandmother. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you have to tell me that story. <laughs> uh, all my aunts were getting tattoos, like, and she was just one of those women that wanted, you know, she's like, well, I'll, what are they doing? I want to do that too. And so she got a butterfly on her wrist. She went to church the next day and showed her priest who told her it was lovely. Her one concern was that she had never let my grandfather get a tattoo. So she was like, I hope you can't take these to heaven because he'll be really mad at me. <laughs> People who you wouldn't necessarily think of as being members of the counterculture, uh, people who weren't necessarily um, part of, say, like the grunge aesthetic or a punk aesthetic or a goth aesthetic, but people who really had a more mainstream aesthetic starting to get tattoos in the late 90s and early 2000s, bringing that into the mainstream and making that uh, one of many ways that women could decorate their bodies as art and play a role in really controlling uh, the images that are going on to their bodies, making really important decisions too about the kind of artwork that they want to put on their bodies through that artwork. I think it just opened so many doors for creative expression. Not only has the legalization of tattooing in Indiana increased the popularity of tattoos, it's also allowed the practice to gain respect as an art form, says Sweet. People spend more money on tattoos than they do on buying art for their homes. 
and that's the that's the reality compared to things a hundred years earlier the way that the shading is being done is completely different uh, there are all these pigments that are available and it just really I think for a lot of people makes it seem more vivid and less associated with older tattoos with older inks that faded more quickly the blacks that would turn blue over time all those sorts of things so it's less associated with like bikers and just being associated with um, artwork specifically tattoos can carry meaning memories and beauty just like any piece of art in fact tattoo art collectors will travel the world to be inked by revered artists it's like having a, you know, a Rembrandt on, on your thigh and then a Basquiat on your arm and then kind of like a traditional famous religious painter put on your ribs. Plus, this art is permanent. They can't just take my painting to Goodwill and drop it off when they're sick of seeing it. <laughs> they have committed to having it on their wall or on their body for the rest of their lives, you know. I like that everybody wants to get tattooed now. Obviously, that's good business for me. As tattoos have become popular and even respectable, some in the industry, like Eric Smolinski, lament what's been lost. I feel like it loses a little bit of its magic when a soccer mom will come and boss me around because she wants to get an infinity symbol on her ankle and she wants me to move it 15 times. You know what I mean? Because she's not even serious or she's not even positive where she wants it. But that's where the magic just kind of lost, you know? Back in the day, if you came into Roy Boys and you wanted to get tattooed and he didn't like your idea, you know, he would tell you in, in a very not good way to get out of his place. You know what I mean? And or chase you out with that bat. Oh, right up there? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Smolinski points to a black bat resting on two nails above a large photograph of Roy Boy Cooper. Cooper is giving two thumbs up, his fingers covered in gold rings. Vandenberg says she understands Smolinski's ambivalence about the mainstreaming of tattoo culture. There's something about being part of a counterculture and being judged as less than and unequal because you have engaged in certain aesthetic practices and being kind of, you know, relegated by others to you. You have to belong in this outsider category. You have to belong to this liminal space. You can't be part of mainstream society. Even if you don't want to be, you can't be anyway. So I can certainly understand people having those conflicted feelings. Tattoos, once associated with sailors, criminals, and outsiders, now mark the bodies of about 40% of Americans between the ages of 26 and 40, according to the Pew Research Center. Still, people are finding a way to rebel against tattoo acceptance. Among college students, stick and poke tattoos are a cheaper alternative to getting a professional one. Riley, 19, has several of these tattoos. I did this one in my dorm room. It's a little eyeball on my ankle. So you like put a needle, um, a sewing needle on the end of an eraser. You like put it in the eraser and then you like take the sewing thread and like tie it all the way around, wrap, 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 wrap around to like the end of the needle to where like you leave enough to where like it'll poke and then like the ink will get in. And then you like tape it and then you dip it in your ink and it acts like the well and then you just like stab yourself and usually you get like a pop. Stick and pokes are like really painful compared to like real tattoos. They aren't like, they aren't fun, <laughs> but they are kind of fun. I just hate authority. So when anybody tries to tell me not to do something, I'll just like go and do it. While some people take the do-it-yourself route to keep things exciting, getting a professional tattoo is still special for many others. 
even if it isn't as subversive as it used to be. Like one thing we wanted in our shop is nobody felt like they weren't cool enough to come in. You know, we don't care if you're a biker or whatever. And um, we don't have that elitist idea of that. Well, you know, you don't have enough tattoos to be in here or whatever. There are communities and families where this is a part of a tradition. This isn't just uh, a form of self-expression that's used by that, you know, stereotype of the, the loner, the outsider. That's not really the case. That's not really the story that's being told through this exhibit. And I think that that's wonderful to challenge those sorts of preconceived notions about who gets tattoos and why they get tattoos. Lots of people get them from all sorts of different walks of life and for probably as many reasons as there are people who get tattoos. David, 21, may have 10 tattoos, but he says each time he gets one, it's magical. As more and more people get them, I don't think that specialness is gonna go away because it's, it's unique, you know, it's a piece of artwork, it's a piece of something that it will always remain on your body. And no matter like who judges you or who doesn't judge you, it's, it's always gonna be special in some sense to you because it's yours. Since the legalization of tattooing in Indiana, the art form has not only become more accessible, but more diverse, as artists push the boundaries of tradition. Some of the contemporary tattooers kept it in the same format, but they obviously work with their own imagery, and mm -hmm. these look like they're inspired by Adventure Time. Yeah. Um, local tattooer Giacomo Del Rio, he loves wearing Ralph Lauren polo clothing. He made a whole series of polo bears in these ornate frames with the RL logo. Oh wow. And there's the golfer bear, the pipe smoking bear, the polo playing one, the, the martini sipping one, and the ski bear. You know, it's a good it's a good little series that's playful and fun. As the art form evolves, it continues to delight, excite, and heal. Do you think you would ever get another tattoo for any other reason? I do. I do. I do have a plan. It's just so incredibly private that I don't know that I could even talk about it. Um, it just has to do with pain and memories and lost love and being brokenhearted. It's just, you know, it would be tiny, tiny, tiny. One initial probably, and that would be it. Something that would just be for you? Just for me. It's an outward sign that I had survived something but my daughter would probably ask questions and I don't know how I would explain that to her. I, I don't know that I would do it until she were older to understand maybe after she's gotten her heart broken once. I wanna tell her that, you know, people get hurt and people get their hearts broken and there's love and pain and tears and then there's an after. For Cafe Indiana, I'm Hannah Boomershine. Welcome to my life tattoo. I'm a man now, thanks to Indiana Tattoo, History and Legacy, and Welcome Back to the Badlands are on view at the Grunewald Gallery on the IU Bloomington campus through February 3rd. Share this story and see photos from the show at wfiu.org slash arts. <laughs>